Welcome to the One Player Podcast, the show on solitaire board games. I'm your host, Albert, and this is episode 189, where Julius has been replaced. Hey, welcome. That's right. I have gotten rid of Julius, at least for a week. Uh, today, we have Deborah from Geek Gamers on as, as a special guest. Hey, Deborah, how are you doing? I'm great. I'm so happy to be here, and I'm a bit of a fan of your show. You're you're the first podcast I ever listened to in the gaming world. So, oh wow, okay. I'm, I'm a little starstruck. I have to say. <laughs> it's funny. Wow, cool. Thank you very much. Um, yeah, actually, I I mean, I would I I'm flattered to have you on there because as far as I know, you're like the biggest person when it comes to solo solo gamings and videos, and everybody always talks about you. So. <laughs> well, thank you. I was I was listening to you when I had no media presence whatsoever, and it was really it was really eye opening to hear you talk about solo gaming because I thought I was just the only one who was doing that all on my own. And oh, that's you funny. Had this great podcast, and it sort of was part of my entry into the whole world of. I guess I was on Board Game Geek, but um, mm -hmm. I joined the One Player Guild at some point because you mentioned it obviously on the podcast and that really that really opened up a whole world to me so you you played a big role actually in where wow, i am deep. okay wow deep. thank you yeah i mean honestly i i started the podcast just because i wanted to listen to a podcast about solo gamings and i couldn't find one so i said oh mm -hmm. i guess i'll make it right right well that's sort of why i started doing my my geek gamers youtube channel um in a way it was just something that i was putting out material that i didn't see on the internet and was making for fun and my original idea behind my channel was to do videos on things that had no videos at all on the internet and i i've changed a lot since then but um, i think that that ends up with the best content because it's just what you like to do and so mm -hmm. i kind of stuck with that the whole time exactly and, and we're probably jumping ahead here we didn't really tell anybody who you are too much but but you host a, a youtube channel called geek gamers which is videos about board games and I, I'll admit it. I don't watch it because I I just don't watch videos. I never, I find it really hard to sit down and watch a video. No, no offense. Although people have told me that they listen to my, they listen to my YouTube channel as if it were a podcast because I'm not on it. It's just my hands and my talking. <laughs> right. So I'm yeah. uh, not visually on it. So it's, it's a very low tech, uh, low tech YouTube in that regard. But yes, it's a YouTube channel that talks about, I originally started doing solo board games and i actually did a lot of war games not historical war gaming but science fiction war games and that evolved into doing a lot of solo rpg material which is now i think what i'm most known for although i do still do the occasional board game video when i feel like it so it's mm -hmm. it's still a little bit of a mix but it leans heavily into solo rpg at this point oh, okay and and You've been doing this for a few years now, like I think five or six years. Yes, I think it's about it's six years. It's about six years, and I did, um, as I said, it started out with just solo gaming things I had in my game closet that there didn't seem to be videos on. I had a lot of old science fiction war games from the mm -hmm. late seventies and eighties, and I did kind of discussion videos on those. I wasn't really doing. I certainly wasn't doing playthroughs. I was doing maybe a demo of a turn or two, but a lot of discussion about game design and ultimately about narrative and storytelling in solo board games, because that's really what the, attracted me to the games that I was playing was how they told a story. That was the, that was the link among all the games I played was how they told stories. 
Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm not surprised you say that because, and I'm jumping way ahead of here, but we're going to talk about your book that you wrote. And in it, it really is about telling stories is what I got out of that book. So I'm it not is surprised. ultimately it's about telling stories. And a lot of people have said this could really be almost rewritten as a guide to writers who are trying to write hmm. adventure stories. And I could see that it wasn't in my mind explicitly in that regard, but my interest in solo RPG is comes from an interest in narrative. And ultimately, I have a PhD in Victorian literature. And I think that comes through, even though I didn't necessarily intend that. But I am trying in my in my YouTube channel, and certainly in the book to give people tools to understand how narrative works, why things are exciting when they're written down or told as stories. And how they can create that kind of excitement for themselves when they're doing solo work. Mm-hmm. So let me, let me ask you about one specific video. I, I was going through all your old stuff and just going through the timeline. And I saw you did one on Princess Ryan Star Marines. Oh, yeah. It's yes. a game that I have. It's a, I've wanted to play it for years and I've pulled it out a couple of times and, and struggled through the rules and maybe a turn or two and then put it back. It is, it is, is a little bit of a hot mess. Yeah, I have is to it, say okay. I was just thinking of taking it out again uh, about a week ago because the boards on that, the, the gameplay boards are really big. And mm-hmm. I have one space in, I, I live in Manhattan and I live in an apartment and I have one place in my apartment where I can easily play it. And that place happens to be free now. So I was thinking of taking it out. It's been a while. That is a game where you have to take a lot of leaps of faith, I think, to get around some of the rules and okay. I would honestly have to watch my own video, which I think is probably <laughs> still the only video on that game up to remember exactly how to play it. Um, and I do remember that you manage a whole bunch of characters when you're playing solo and everyone has a lot yeah, of cards and familiar. it's it's just kind of messy. But you sh- if you have it, you should get it out and uh, okay. watch my video because I'll probably explain how to play it. Um, and I'll be watching along if I if I try to replay it. <laughs> OK, cool. Yeah, I, I do. I wanted to play it. from what I remember the game. The card quality is terrible. And it's hard to shuffle them and whatnot. Yeah, it's- it is. I think I, I fashioned a sleeve. Some of the cards are small. And if you cut like a standard poker size sleeve in half, you will. Oh get a sleeve for the smaller cards that makes it easier to shuffle because they do have that kind of perforation, you know, that makes it impossible. But um, I think the main thing about that game I remember is it's pretty brutal. It's probably not balanced as well as it should be. And I think you die a lot (laughs) at the, at the beginning, you might need to do some house ruling on that. But um, my memory as we're talking about it is an easy character death. Gotcha. So it's probably a better multiplayer game, which I I remember it was interesting looking, and I know we're way on a tangent here. We'll get back to back to you soon, but um, it's a trick taking game if you play it multiplayer, and that sounded mm-hmm. interesting. Yeah, yeah. I haven't played it multiplayer actually, but um, yeah, I'm I was trying just to remember that part. But yeah, and it's it, it's it's a game that I think shows how the board uh, is really kind of garish and lavishly illustrated with like you know, late 80s kind of computer rendering science fiction pulp imagery. And I love it. I think it really sets the tone for what you can expect from the gameplay and the mechanics of the game. And this kind of like rough and tumble, crazy, you know, laser gun shooting everywhere kind of thing. And so for me, I think the game works that way because it all comes together, you know, the components of it, Yes, they're old components in the cards, as you say, are pretty abysmal. But what you're staring at, what you're looking at with that board 
if you allow yourself to imagine you're in that world, it really fits with the mechanics of the game. And so it's, it's a success, I think, in that way. But I think it was kind of panned as a game. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it, it hasn't gotten many uh, good reviews or, or mentions that I've ever noticed. And that's part of what attracted me to it. I, I, I find games with bad reputation irresistible. I just want to find out for myself how bad they are. My dogs have started barking. I have no idea why, and I'm sure it's coming out of the audio. Sorry, everyone. Um, but so you don't really do the board games much anymore. You mentioned that there's a lot of older games in there, which are really neat. Um, yeah, I do. I, I definitely do board game videos for sure. But in fact, I just did one on League of Dungeoneers, which is like a big was a big Kickstarter thing that I had. It's probably my third video on that. The designer reached okay. out to me when he was in a prototype and sent me a prototype a number of years ago. And I've been following along the development of that game and I just did another video on it. So I, I do still do board game uh, videos, but it has to be something that really strikes me. And mm -hmm. at this point, I think as the channel has evolved, there's a lot of expectation from the channel for me to be doing solo RPG or RPG reviews and discussions. So I do lean toward that a bit, but I absolutely do. I have a board game video coming up that I'm working on right now. That's a little bit out of my wheelhouse, but it's about getting kids into gaming and some games that I think are really useful for teaching kids various types of mechanics about games. So I'll be posting that. I'm not sure anyone will watch it, but <laughs> I'm interested in it. So it will go up. Well, neat. okay, that's very cool. So, so you do mostly role playing games now. You said, you said you do playthroughs and you do reviews and stuff. Would you, would you say you do more of one and the other? Or, or... Well, I don't actually do playthroughs. So, what I'll oh, do okay. is I will do a gameplay demo for demo. a solo session on a various rule set. So, like, I'll give an example of how you set up a game, like. Iron Sworn or a uh, game like Morkborg to do it solo and give an example of how I might create an environment and how I might create a character and set out on a session. I don't do entire sessions and I don't do videos that are multiple videos on the same rule set because I think what I bring to the, the forum is kind of a breadth of coverage so that I try to give insight into lots of different rule sets and it's just not possible for me to, this is my very much my hobby. I have a <laughs> full-time job and a family and kids and, you know, I'm not, uh, this is not something I'm doing at, in any way except on the side. So I don't have the time to kind of put in multiple videos on one session. Right. I like to really do what I feel ultimately are discussion videos about topics and Sometimes and often they'll fall into the category of presenting the topic of a rule set and how that rule set may or may not be suitable for solo and how I would approach it in solo. Sometimes I do videos that are thematic, like how to develop characters or how to develop environments, things of that nature. And then sometimes recently I've been doing some supplement videos like materials. There's a ton of stuff that people are putting out now, supplemental materials cards and books of random tables and things. And I'll do, in my mind, they're called like presentation videos where I just show people what someone is has made uh, and how it might be used to support solo play. Mm, okay. And excuse me, so you mentioned 
you mentioned Iron Sworn, which is a game I've covered before, and and it's a role playing game for one or more players. And so you talked about how that plays, and I'm assuming you kind of went through the process of of coming up with your truths and all that. But you also mentioned you do, which is part of the process of playing that game specifically, and that's in the rules. But you mentioned you you've also talked about other games and how you would approach it solo. So you're not talking about off the shelf rules. It's more in some cases it's about how you interpret the game and what you would do to to enable yourself to be able to play it solo using your own right. ideas. Well, so as you know, you know, there are different kinds of RPG rule mm-hmm. sets. There are what I would just consider like standard or traditional, which is like mm-hmm. D&D and everything that's meant to be played with a group, with a, with a leader, a DM or a GM and a group. And then there are, starting with Ironsworn really was one of the first, certainly the biggest one that came with rules that would allow it to be played co-op, that is to say, a bunch of players with no leader, no GM, or solo. And there are other games like that. And then there are specifically solo-made rule sets as well. There's also been recently something that I would call sort of solo-adjacent, which are rule sets that have come out, like Fallen is one I mentioned, or something called Rune Cairn, where it is essentially a traditional rule set meant to be played with a GM, but it's initially published with some light solo support. So some Oracle tables or things that are geared toward that rule set that would allow somebody to manipulate it and play it solo. But what I've done a lot on the channel, especially in the first years that I was doing the solo RPG, is to show how you could take something that had no solo support, like Pathfinder or D&D, or many other index card RPG, for example, and work with that to create a solo session for yourself. And so I did a lot of videos at um, early on in the sort of solo RPG movement, as it were, mm-hmm. that talked about that because there just were no videos out there at the time. Now I think there are a lot of people, especially since the pandemic, it mm-hmm. really took off um, just coincidentally. I had already been doing it uh, when the pandemic started, but when that happened, all of a sudden, like my viewership really <laughs> exploded because I think wow, people good. were looking around for material that had I had already been putting out. And now there are just a lot more creators out there who are, as I said, building in some degree of solo support. It could be a little bit, it could be a lot. Um, but the videos that I find I get a lot of comments on are for, for rule sets that don't have that, that are just how do you look at how do you look at a Pathfinder rule set that's made for a group and figure out how to do that for yourself? Mm-hmm. And then so so you have videos that are like tutorials on he, here's how you might go about making characters. And and I remember watching a video, I'm pretty sure I watched it, about you were using novels to come up with ideas. Right. So that was <laughs> that was one of the things I did Um that was in a video about five, six years ago that really people just loved. I, I had never seen it done before, I have to say, where I took, in that case, it was um, a couple of Gothic novels, and mm-hmm. I took three dice, uh, 3D10s probably, and rolled up, or 4D10s, because their books were long, and rolled up a series of numbers, and then just turned to that page and started reading from that description or whatever I came up on that page, and that became incorporated into my story as it was either a backstory or an NPC or something like that. And I think that got a lot of attention because people hadn't thought of 
bringing in supporting material like that. And I think if you have the right novel or novels that you're drawing from, it can really work as long as you're matching the novel to the rule set. So for example, in the Solar Game Master's Guide, one of the things I did in there was to put a long literary table into it because as I said, I think part of the challenge for people is if you don't know, if you're not well-versed in 18th and 19th century literature, for example, which many people aren't, it would be hard to even know where to get something that would work to roll on because mm-hmm. you, you know you want your material to be supporting your rule set. So in the book, I did that with a whole, I don't know, I don't remember how many, but it created a D66 table of entries. So I rolled on these books and got these entries and put the relevant entries in and then created a table from that that people could roll on. So yes, I did do that. And I do that when I'm playing. I've done that in other videos as well to just demonstrate how the story can really be supported from lots of different kinds of materials and not just from the RPG world. Okay. So, so dumb question, but have you ever like rolled the dice, picked up your book and started reading and sort of got lost in the book and forgot you're playing a game? <laughs> <laughs> it could happen. I mean, not so much that, but I have done that. And I'm like, you know what? I need to reread this book. <laughs> so <laughs> when it goes on to my, I'm going to reread this bookshelf because I have many books there. I just, I love to reread books I've already read. And um, that has definitely happened. I felt like, oh, I'm going to reread oh, okay. this. I was wondering, yeah, it seems like that could be distracting. <laughs> yeah. Especially if you pick a good book. Um. So, all right. So your, so your YouTube channel is geared for anybody that's interested in gaming especially solo gaming um it's it's definitely intended for them i'm sure anybody could enjoy because a lot of this i think a lot of the stuff that you talk about with role-playing games at least a lot of stuff in the book even though it's geared to solo gamers could really work for anybody that's into role-playing that wants a narrative role-playing yes i think it it is sort of general gm advice as well Mm -hmm. although i didn't you know, you have to kind of choose what you're going to write about. And I, right. I wanted to do this kind of book, but I agree um, for GMs. And I get comments on the channel and to my email from just what I would call regular GMs who are really thankful for the kind of advice that I am putting out there because it is applicable. And um, I appreciate that. I've never actually been a GM except for games with my kids. So I've always only ever been a player, so I, I'm happy that I can contribute something in general to um, what I consider to be regular GMs, which I am not. <laughs> That's neat. So, okay, so so we've talked a lot about your channel. I want to move on a little bit and, and then hear more about you. So what got you into solo role-playing gaming and games in general? And you've kind of already hinted about these things. Well, it really is, I would say I entered solo RPGs and RPGs in general just because I, I read a lot as a child. I, I am a reader. I, I'm also a book editor in the real world. And so my, my whole life is really surrounded with and has been funded by <laughs> books. Uh, and so I used to just buy and read. Basically, at that point, it was just D&D. And as a young girl growing up, you know, like in the early 80s, like there was not a D&D group that was going to be excited to have me joining it. So I wasn't really, I didn't have access to playing D&D. I really wanted to do that. I just didn't have the access. And then when I finally got to college and went to the D&D group on campus, you know, it was not very welcoming, I'll say. And Mm. it was just 
I stayed probably 10 minutes and left because the guys there and it was all guys just didn't, were not interested in having me there. So almost by necessity, I think I was just, I found the material really fascinating. And so I would find myself, of course, you know, making characters, but also then I would try to like make the character have a fight with some, some, something, some enemy. And mm-hmm. then I would maybe try to say, well, where are they? And create like the environment of where they were. And it was just very piecemeal, just almost as a way of interacting with the uh, written material. So that's kind of how it started. And it wasn't something that I called solo RPG at all, but that was my way of interacting with the rule sets. And then on my channel per se, I was doing, as I mentioned, I was doing completely board games initially for a year, probably on the channel, playing games that I owned. And one of the games I owned was a game called, excuse me, James Bond Assault. Mm-hmm. It's a game from 1986, and it's like a licensed Bond product, and it is a war game that's a depiction of a kind of final showdown between James Bond and the enemy. But in that game, it's made, there was a James Bond role-playing game also mm-hmm. put out at that time, and there's like a one-line suggestion in the rules of the game, you can take this game and play it out with your James Bond characters that you are doing in your role-playing game and put them together. And so I did that on the channel and that was my first kind of official solo RPG video. And I think it was really one of the first solo RPG videos actually ever on the internet, as far as I can Mm -hmm. have been able to ascertain. And I talked about carrying over the characters from the, I made some characters in the role-playing rules and then I brought them into the board game. And that was that led me down um, a path of doing some more videos on the fantasy trip, which was something that I had played with and around when I was a kid. And um, that was also, again, solo adjacent. So I made that video and it took off from there. And then I made this Easy Ways to Be Your Own GM video, which is still my most popular video. And I think that coincidentally, as I said, that was a couple of years before the pandemic. But once the pandemic happened, there was just a ton of interest by -hmm. necessity for people in figuring out how they could continue their gaming experience. And that video became, I think, a framework for a lot of people on how they could do that. Uh, Okay. Very neat. Yeah, what when I read your book, it sounded like like the voice sounded like like you've been playing solo games for a long time. Like the, these are not new ideas to you, and it sounds like like it wasn't just from the last six years. Like it's something you've been aware of and thinking of for a while. Right, that's, that's as I said, I yes, I think that's true. And as I say at the beginning of the book, to me, it's really all about different ways of experiencing narrative, and that. Mm-hmm. Um, I played uh, when I was younger on the computer interactive fiction games, which are also another kind of way of putting input into a structure and getting an output that's a story. And essentially that is, you know, abstracted what you're doing with any kind of role-playing game. You're putting input into mechanics, game rules, and in the case of regular role-playing, you're you're getting output that's a kind of co-generated story with the GM and the players or in solo, you're kind of creating that yourself. So 
no, I don't think these ideas are new to me. And as I said, I uh, spent far too many years in graduate school getting um, a PhD, reading a lot of Victorian literature. And all of that is in service of understanding how the modern novel was created, what writers were successful and what they were doing to affect an emotional investment in a story. And it's really the basis for where we are now in terms of storytelling and, and relating to people through stories and connecting emotion to storytelling and all of that. So in that sense, those ideas have lived with me for decades, really. Putting them in the solo RPG framework and putting them in the framework of YouTube even is new. <laughs> okay. That's, you know, that's really neat what you're saying because I, I, with your background and your experience, you have a good sense of how literature has evolved over the last few hundred years from all that studying and whatnot. And it sometimes never occurred to me that there is, there is a progression in there. I've been listening. I don't know why I started this, but like three years ago, I started a project where I pick a band that I like and listen to all their music, all their albums in order. And mm, I've been just okay. jumping around from band to band. And I've gone, I've now filled 24 notebooks with notes on, on each album and what I thought about it. Wow. And I've started getting an appreciation of how music has developed from the earliest age of rock in the 60s and 50s to the present from doing that. You know, there's so much I still don't know, but it's neat to see that evolution. And it, it never occurred to me that it would also exist in books, which, you know, hindsight, of course. <laughs> exists right. And I think you could see with that, that when you listen to music with that context, you're probably bringing a lot more to the listening and the experience of it than somebody like myself who might just be listening to that particular song. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, th and that, that can happen. Like I'll listen to Ben and without the context, oh, this isn't that good. But knowing everything that led up to that, it's like, wow, okay, well, that's really interesting where this has come from and, and how it ended up here. So that's neat. Um, So, okay. So, and I'm going to keep going with talking about tangents with you this whole time, I think, because I'm enjoying this conversation. But so what kind of solo role-playing games do you like? So so you've talked about non-solo games. You talk about solo games. I mean, there's things like game books. Last week, I started playing Fabled Lands. I spent a ton of time playing that. Oh, um, that's great. There's journaling uh, RPGs and whatnot. What, what do you like? What do you look for, I guess? Or what don't you like even? I think of late, I've actually enjoyed a bunch of journaling Mm -hmm. games. I didn't used to like them. And I think probably the first time I did one on the channel, I said, I don't really like these journaling games. This one interested me. And that was a thousand year old vampire mm -hmm. because I love vampires. So that was really effective and I enjoyed it quite a bit. The writing prompts I found to be really useful and evocative. I think partially why I never liked journaling games was I thought, well, I could just write if I wanted to write mm -hmm. something. But I have enjoyed that a lot. There's a game called Artifact that is about creating the history of your own magical item or your own weapon. And that is a great game. And in that game in particular, what I've wanted to do is play that game, create a weapon, and then bring that weapon into another rule set with a character oh, cool. and just kind of bring it through. I haven't actually done that yet, but that has been my plan. So I really have been enjoying those lately. And I've liked, there's been some, I'm not a fan of choose your own adventure per se. I've never, I've always 
wanted to like those. Like I feel <laughs> like I should like those, but there's not enough for me. I just find myself like going to page 89, you know, and not really doing the thing that I'm supposed to do before I turn to page 89. So I can say I'm not a fan of that. Mm-hmm. I am a fan of, there's some games that are very light, rules light, like Into the Odd or Knave that are made for traditional role-playing, but which I find very easy to adapt for solo play. And I think in particular with those, they have a random generation kind of like prompts to make spells. So for example, Mm -hmm. if you're going to create a mat, if you know, you're a magic user, instead of getting a spell like lightning bolt, you roll on some tables and the tables have like word prompts. So the prompt could be something like, you know, blasted soul or whatever. And then you, from that, create what the spell means. I think that the games that do that are really effective for soloists also, because right away you're getting involved with the mechanics of the game. You're getting involved with creating a story yourself too. So those have been some of my favorites that I've played recently. Iron Sworn is something I do like. I find you mentioned the the vows and such. It is by nature designed to tell, you know, by definition, really like an epic story because mm-hmm. you have this major iron vow that you're swearing. And I find that that for beginners, especially to solo RPG can be a little intimidating. It's even a little intimidating for me sometimes. I feel like, you know, I just want to play like a little gnome wandering around without much pressure. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. the idea of coming up with this character who's going to be so great, um, that is a little bit, that can be a lot of pressure. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah. I'm enjoying the journaling RPGs and I haven't played anywhere near as much as I'd like to. Um, because they tend to be, a lot of them tend to be shorter and sometimes they have a theme or whatever, but they don't really have a direction. So you just start journaling and writing and it sort of feels more like a short story that a lot of times short stories are just a snippet of somebody's life. And, you know, it doesn't begin at the beginning, doesn't end at the end. There's a whole lot of other stuff that goes on. And the right. journaling think, games have a lot of that feel. Yeah. And also I think there's a sense of one of the th- comments I get on the channel a lot, and I, I totally get this, is like, how do I know when something's over? You know, sometimes it's hard to start, but how do I know when something's over? If you're playing, you know, a traditional RPG, the night is over, the GM, if they're good, is going to be kind of leading the group to a natural ending point. But when you're playing on your own, it, it can kind of feel like, all right, well, I guess I'll just stop, you know? And I think what some of these do these journaling um, or the short ones do effectively is give you that end point. So you mm-hmm. have a sense of when something has concluded and that just provides a level of satisfaction that is, can be missing sometimes when you are doing a solo RPG because you're just sort of like closing the book without any kind of sense that something has concluded. So I like them for that. There's some games like delve and umbra and rise that are zine length books where you're getting prompts from a poker deck of cards and there are your it's a drawing game really but it's Mm -hmm. almost like a solo rpg because you're making a story of 
what has happened with your uh, dwarven hold or your uh, Umbra is a science fiction one, your outpost on this planet and why has something failed? And that is, it's kind of, it's conscribed because there's a, there is an end point, you know, when something, there's a certain point in the game rules wise when the game will be over. And I think that that aspect is very useful. And I talk about that, in fact, in my solo Game Master's Guide, that some parts of board games, some aspects of board gaming can be very useful to bring into solo RPG play, such as a sequence of play, for example. If you went to a game night at someone's house with a GM and they said, we're going to have a sequence of play, you'd think like, this is a really bad GM. But for (laughs) yourself, playing solo and working with a rule set, it can be really useful to kind of have a series of steps to go through because it can can provide a natural cadence and rhythm for the session that sometimes, frankly, I think you just need. It's, It's kind of idealized to think like I'm going to have some epic narrative storytelling all on my own and get so engrossed in it. I don't need the help of like, now I need to do step four, but sometimes you really do need that. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. I've been playing iron sworn. Well, I haven't played it too much. I put it down for a while now, but when I play that, it always feels like I'm like you said, it's an epic adventure and it goes from one epic event to another epic event and right. it doesn't stop. Right. It's exhausting, honestly. My poor right. hero, he's so tired. And, you know, I have feeling part of that is just me not knowing how to manage that correctly. Because not every, not everything that, not every result has to be epic. It's just, That's I keep true. it that way. But I think you're right. I mean, it is designed that way. It wants to point you in that direction. And I, I get what you're saying. And I can really see that. You do feel kind of exhausted at a point. And mm-hmm. I think that's where sometimes like a, just a, something that's a little bit smaller feels more, it can, can also connect more easily to an emotion. And I think ultimately that's what is going to make a session feel successful or not. If you can connect it to some kind of an emotional feeling, as opposed to a mechanic that's saying like, well, it's going to be epic. So it's going to be a big emotion. And, but it's like a mechanic cannot make you feel an emotion. And I also Mm -hmm. say this in my book that stats are not story and numbers are Mm -hmm. not narrative, meaning that the mechanics of something, if, you know, your strength is 18, that's not going to make you feel strong in a story. Doing something narratively that demonstrates strength is going to make you feel strong. And I think that that goes to what you're saying with Ironsworn too. There is a little bit of pressure in opening up that rule book, as brilliant as it is, because I do think it's a really brilliant design. Mm-hmm. And I think that it brought our, our uh, hobby forward in a, gr- a great deal, um, yeah. just with the publication of that conceptually and thinking about what an RPG actually is and can do. But to sit down and play it, there is uh, a bit of pressure. I do feel that myself as well. I recently did a video on the publication of Starforged, which is the science fiction mm-hmm. Iron Ford, uh, Iron Sworn, basically. And I said in that uh, video that in a way, it almost feels to me more comfortable to have that kind of epic sense in a science fiction setting than in the Iron Sworn setting because you're in, to me, everything in space is naturally <laughs> epic. So <laughs> mm-hmm. um, that felt kind of natural. And I had the same experience with 
D100 space as opposed to D100 dungeon, where in D100 space, which also just came out and I also just did a video on, the mechanics of that too seem to work for me better than in D100 dungeon in the fantasy setting for some reason. Okay. Do you do you ever play with the uh, digital versions or just physical ones? I find it really hard to play digital. I am strictly analog. I have okay, to say, yeah. I, you know, I spend my life on the computer for work, and I'm really strictly analog. I will do some. I have a few things that are only digital, but that's honestly because I just haven't printed them out yet. Okay, <laughs> and it'll happen eventually. It sounds like. Yeah, <laughs> it will. Okay. Um, so let's see, moving forward, you don't necessarily, okay, so let me read what I wrote and we'll figure out what that means. You don't necessarily play games meant for solo. What do you look for in an RPG for soloing? See, I, I, t I wrote a bunch of questions and notes about what to talk about, and this is, this is our outline here. <laughs> so, so there you right. go. Listeners. What do I look for for soloing? I, for me personally, mm -hmm. I look for something short and in one book ideally. Because mm -hmm. to me, I feel at least when I'm starting out, it's really intimidating to think that you have to purchase like five different things. And, you know, there's like two bestiaries, and then there's the whole magic volume and whatever. I like something that's short and in one book, if I can get it. And these days, I like things that are also more rules light, because I have accumulated a great library of resources that have random tables and environmental settings and all sorts of things. And I want to be able to use what I have in a new mm -hmm. rule set. And if the rule set itself is too heavy or quirky, I can't easily adapt material that I have. So those are a couple of things I'm looking for. Lately, I've been taken with a game called Fallen, which is a setting that is kind of like, um, I don't know if you know a touch of evil board game, you probably mm -hmm. do. It's like American country horror, I guess I would call it like that, you know, the headless horseman and the yeah, scarecrow. The American, Gothic sort of... American Gothic, right. And I've really been enjoying that. It does fall into the category. It's basically like a zine sized uh, thing, although I think there's a supplement out now. But I just I've like to get into a different I'd like to get out of fantasy a little bit I'm I'm kind of uh I'm not done with fantasy but I'm enjoying being in other settings and thinking about like that colonial horror kind of thing but I think in terms of being more general again just for me something short and rules light is the way to go at this point right now I may feel differently and I'm sure I felt differently in the past when I started doing a lot of videos on the channel. I did a lot on big rule sets like Pathfinder and such because I felt like I had a lot to say about how to interpret those rules mm -hmm. and what to use and whatever. But now I'm just like, I don't even need to do that. I can just <laughs> find a short rule set. So mm -hmm. I think those are, those are uh, appealing to me. I do like it when there are some solo supporting game and mechanic specific materials like an oracle table or whatever i will play something that doesn't have that but i appreciate the thought that goes into having that especially when it's done by the designer who knows the rules inside and out and then knows what they can provide that would help the soloist mm -hmm. one thing you never mentioned in your book um and i was kind of surprised personally but it's because i'm a huge fan is rory story cubes do you ever use those 
That's interesting. I I might have put them in, I have an annotated bibliography of resources. I might mm-hmm. have put them in there. They're they not are, in your book. They're not in my book. I, okay, looked, so. I look for it. All right. I believe you. I believe you. put them in there. <laughs> I, you know, I have to be honest. It, they are in my video, Easy Ways to Be Your Own GM. They're 100% mm-hmm. in there because I remember I took went into my kid's room and got them out. I just don't really like them. I, you know, so I, I, if they're not in my book, they really should have been mentioned as a resource. I think they are a great resource for some reason. I don't know why. I just don't like the iconography. Mm-hmm. And so I don't before, really use yeah. them. And it was probably more of an oversight on my point, on my part, that not putting it in is a good resource because it's so accessible to people. And um, I do think they're a great resource. They just don't really work for me. So. Right. And and that's important, right? So whenever you use anything, it really has to feel right for you. If it, if it feels, if it if you don't like the artwork or or you don't like the style of the prose or whatever, it's not going to help you. It's going to hinder you more than anything else. True. Right? Um. Although you're absolutely like it's an omission for me not to put that in as not to put that in as a resource because I think they are a great resource for people and probably one of the more accessible ones for people who want to, as I talk about in the book, like turn to your own board games for resources to start because you don't have to buy anything. You have stuff around that you Mm -hmm. don't even realize you can use. And especially if you're a parent, you may already have these story (laughs) cubes lying around too. (laughs) I'm such a fan. I've bought them all and I've got multiple copies of every set. I think even (laughs) I'm a fanatic, but yeah, you know, so jumping forward to your book, what made me think of it was like you were just saying, like uh, you could use anything as a resource, including the board games around you and whatnot, if you already have board games. Um, And you give examples of that in your book where you just, pull out a couple board games and, and kind of look to the parts, which just looking through the game could be fun in itself. And some of the cards may have art or something that inspire you and, and lead you to, to want to play a story based on right. the cards you found. I, right. I think that goes to another, the, what one of the things I open the book with is talking about the mindset of being a solo GM, which is mm-hmm. looking at things through a bit of a different lens. And that includes looking at your own, board game collection through a a bit of a different lens. I think for me, when I play solo, and I know this is not true of everybody, and in fact, there are YouTube channels out there that are sort of the opposite of this, but I'm not trying to replicate what I think would happen with a GM around a table. I don't, that's not my goal or desire. And I actually, I don't think it's possible. I think that there are people who try to replicate that and do think it's possible. And there's not a right or wrong. It's just a different approach. Mm -hmm. But um, in my case, I'm not trying to do that. And that is therefore, uh, it's a different mindset being a solo GM and approaching rule sets and gaming materials, let's call them, from the perspective of the soloist. And as I look around my office here, I see things differently or the games that I have behind me, I can see them as resources for solo play in uh, when I put on my solo GM hat, as opposed to putting on my, I'm playing a board game hat. So I -hmm. think that um, people have, you know, people who are just starting out or just finding out about solo RPG and want to try it, don't need to think like they have to buy a ton of things to get going. They probably, if they're board gamers, they probably have so many resources already that they can turn to and use. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, you don't even need board games really. And what I got out of is was, which I hadn't thought of it this way, but you could use the board games you have or the books you've read. And really you could use anything that gives you an idea, a, a, 
for something you hadn't thought about before. It basically it's it's just anything that will kind of lead you to to a story. Absolutely. And I say, mm-hmm. I think I have a chapter or at least a section of a chapter in the book that says like how you can do this without even a rule set. You don't even need RPG rules. You could, if you want to roll some dice, you could say, you know, if I roll a five or a six, it's a success, period. Mm-hmm. And that's it. And if I roll a one or two, something really bad happens. And you can, that could be your entire rule set that you just made up right there. And you can look around and look at materials you have from your board games or materials you have from novels that are on your shelf and just make a character and just find a different way of telling a story using what you've made up and what you've kind of patched together from various things. And that is solo RPG as much as Ironsworn is solo RPG. There's not any one thing. There's not one right or wrong way to do solo RPG at all. It's all different types of interactive storytelling. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. That, 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 I feel the same way. So, so let's talk about the book more specifically, because we've been talking about that and everything else. Um, the book, it, it's not, it's not a role-playing game. So, so we're not talking about a game here. It isn't exactly an instructional book, but it, it's, it's a guidebook, which is called a guide about, approaches to playing solo different things you could do to help you play the game solo um which includes everything from how to pick what game to play to to how to use charts and whatnot it's i guess i find it a little hard to describe but to me when i read it i I kept thinking oh this is like a like an art book like the kind of book you buy about how to draw with watercolor they're going to flip through and find all sorts of different techniques to use for the for this situation or that situation and whatnot. So it's, it's almost like a cookbook, you know, some people like a cookbook. It, they, mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's not that's not a bad description. I intended it to be a way of giving people general tools to understand mm-hmm. how narrative works and how to manipulate narrative to serve a story that you would play using RPG rules. And so the first part of the book is that it is strategies, it is tips, I have some exercises in there. So you can kind of try out what I'm writing about, and principles and approaches to thinking about what RPG rules are and what storytelling is. That's really what the book is in the first part. And then there are some tables and I mentioned the random literary table. There are other random tables there because people want some tools and things. So there are Mm -hmm. some of that in the back. And then there's also an annotated bibliography of materials that I have found useful in my journey because I think I'm not the only person who knows how to do this. And I am creating and drawing my ideas from a lot of different things, most of which have nothing to do with gaming. So Mm -hmm. I have lists of books about writing, about architecture and design, which comes into play a lot with my approach because my approach relies heavily on understanding the environment that characters are in. And so that is in there as well. But it's really, it is like a toolkit of strategies. I think there are people out there who are making specific solo supporting pamphlets and booklets for a very specific rule set A, B, C, D with here's some Mm -hmm. oracles for this rule set. And that's great. But what I wanted readers to come away with after reading my book was feeling like they had their own 
abilities and strategies to look at any rule set and figure out how to make that rule set work for them solo because they understand something about how narrative is created, how narrative can be manipulated, and why things are interesting. And ultimately, what the main question that you want always to have going on in any session is this concern with what happens next. Mm -hmm. And how do you get to a place where you really want to know what happens next? Because that's when you have a successful session. So that was really the goal behind the book was to put those tools into readers' hands in a general way so that any rule set could be used as solo. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think you did a really good job of having all these ideas come through because as you're talking, I was thinking, oh, it's about what comes next. And then you said those very same words. So so apparently I remembered what you wrote. <laughs> My memory is, is <laughs> good. Not That's great. But, it, <laughs> but yeah, it was, it was really, it was really, it's a really useful book. I really think it's super neat. Thank um, you. I like the, the way you've organized the different sections, right? Like you said, first one is here's what role-playing games about. Here's some ways to think about it and whatnot. Um, there's a second section then, which is now, now you got an idea what it's about here. Here's a couple ways to get started, uh, which is always a big hurdle for anybody that's new to solo role playing, right? The, which, which system do you use or how do you make a character and all the, all these kinds of things don't people don't know. And, and you give some, I think you give like three or four different techniques of how to start, whether it's from the character or the rule set or, or just the items you have. Um, right. Or the environment is one. So yeah. yes, I wanted to, I, I did, I was very intentional about in that second part about getting very specific. So I wanted to give a chapter on step-by-step step because I know people want that and it's useful, especially when you're starting out, you know, the big ideas are great, but it's like, tell me how to do it step-by-step. Step. So I did go through that, but I also was mm -hmm. making the point that there isn't just one way to start. Yeah. If it's a theme in my, on my YouTube channel and certainly in the book that I think it can often be lead to a dead end if you start with character creation, because character creation is the place where you have in the rule set typically the most instruction and the most direction because you're filling out a character sheet, etc. But after that, it's like over to the GM, totally. You have your character and the GM is taking over. When you're doing mm -hmm. this solo, if you just sit down and fill out your character sheet and get all into the mechanics of that and you're getting led along by the rules to do that, when you're done, you have a character and then like you, you don't have anything. But right. if yeah. you start by looking at the environment, if you start by rolling on a trinket table and getting a trinket and then asking your question about what's the history of the trinket, and I have this list of questions in the book, where did the trinket come from? Who gave it to me? You know, whatever. All of a sudden in answering those questions, you're beginning to tell a story. And if you have a story going, it's a lot easier to put a character into it than if you just all of a sudden have a character with no environment, no mm -hmm. existing story, nothing. And I think that's why a lot of people will say, and, and I have this happen too, well, I rolled up a bunch of characters and then that was kind of all I did. And, you know, that's fine, but that might not be the entire experience that you want to get out of a rule set. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like you said, um, 
when you're playing with other people, you make your character and then, so I've got a character, now what? And you look at your GM and, and they're going to tell you what. Exactly, right. right. And if you're also the GM, that can really put a lot of pressure on That's you. Tricky, and yeah. um, It is tricky. I think it's really the hardest way to start. And so I do talk about that in the book and I demonstrate certainly how you can do it. And I understand why people would want to. And certainly from looking at rule sets initially, it seems logical and it seems like the easiest way but I do think it's, it is a lot easier if you spend some time creating an environment. It, could, it doesn't have to be an entire world. It could be just a castle or it could be just a cave or a part of the forest or whatever. And mm-hmm. then you find an item in the forest and then you say, well, where did this item come from? And roll on some random tables and all of a sudden you have like two points to the triangle and then the third point to the triangle is your character. And your character's coming into a situation where there is an environment with something in it, and you've already started to tell a little bit of a story about that thing, and mm-hmm. you are just in a much richer narrative place than you are if you just sit down and make a character. You know, and and, and thinking about stories, right? Because solo role playing is a lot about the story that you're getting out of it. You never start a story knowing everything about the character. You you learn right. about the characters as the story goes along, and and it makes sense to play that way too. As as you're playing, you're going to learn more about your character and who they are. And that's also true of multiplayer games. You know, you start with an idea, and as you start playing, some of those things you thought turned out not to work out as well as you imagine. Oh yeah, my great warrior is actually not that great because I keep rolling ones. So exactly, <laughs> so your story right. changes anyway. Absolutely. And I think to go back to something you asked earlier, part of the reason why I think lighter rule sets are more conducive to solo play is that if you look at a character sheet and you've got 30 entries, like a Pathfinder character sheet or something, or D&D, 30 slots for different numbers and things, as opposed to something that's much lighter where you have five slots, it just gives more space, like literally gives more space for narrative, for story. Well, I've got, you know, three stats and I'm going to write two sentences about where I got this trinket from. And that is, I think, more inviting for the soloist than a character sheet that has 30 different numbers and stats. And then that's how you explain your character. I think the more you can explain your character with story, the easier it is to play with that character as a soloist and not having an external person, the GM, leading you around. Mm-hmm. It reminds me of um, Vampire the Masquerade. I played that mm-hmm. with my friends in the 90s, and you had stats in there, but they were not as concretely defined as other games. You had number of points and different skills, but then the way you used it was up to you, and you had to describe what you did. Right. And you could pretty right. much do anything you wanted. Um so it's very narrative driven. Reminds me of that. Um, so so the first we talked about the first two chapters in your book. The third one is are the tools of of solo playing. There's oracles and there's what did I write? But well, no, you wrote this. It's the title of the section: Tools of the Trade, Oracles, Dice, and Random Tables. And that's what you find in, in this section. It's a couple chapters about that, and a, and then a discussion on narrative. Um Right. Mm -hmm. One of the things I say in there that I think is counterintuitive until you read the book is that for me, I think turning to an oracle is almost the most dangerous time in a solo GM session that Mm -hmm. people look to oracles, the Mm -hmm. yes, no 
pointing toward yes and no, but as opening up a story. And I very yeah. much feel that has the danger of closing things down. Yeah. When I read that at first, I was like, sacrilege. She, what's she talking about? But then <laughs> as I read it, I was like, oh, no, that totally makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Right. It's almost like I want to turn to that really as a last resort, because I think if you if you imagine that you're rolling on something and you're, it's like, no, yes, and, and then you're like, okay, yes, and what? Well, let me roll again and again. It's because you don't have the narrative strands there to start with that I think if you need really to have a story that's going to continue on its own. In my play on the channel and in the book, I say the one uh, oracle that I find the most useful is just a really basic one. It's a D100 roll that's kind of like a yes, no mm -hmm. sort of thing. But I think these complicated oracles, and this is why I have never really used Mythic, for example, the fate chart and all of that. I know a lot of people use that. And it's a great concept, which is basically that as you progress through a story, the number of uh, things that happen either make it more or less likely that something bad is going to happen. And there's a whole matrix that you can use based on the rules of this system that will guide the roles toward one way or the other. In theory, I think that's great because it provides a structure for a narrative to be or a setting to be either more or less calm. But for me, I don't use that because when I'm doing solo RPG, I don't need to roll on a table to tell me if something's going to be more or less dangerous because my story is telling me that. And I think that that's what I'm trying to get readers to feel comfortable with by using some of the techniques in the book is that they don't actually need to be looking outside to an oracle. Yes, you might want to roll a dice to say yes or no, is this guard friendly or whatever? Fine. That's, mm -hmm. that's one thing. That's like almost an objective piece of information that's just coming from the outside. But that's very different than rolling on something to say, for example, like, does uh, my father know this guard and do I have a connection to him that's going to let me get into the castle? That should be developed in your own story along the way. Mm -hmm. So I yep. think that, that it sounds like a subtle difference, but to me, that's why I kind of talk about the, avoiding the yes, no dead end. Because to me, when you're, when you're relying on the roll of a dice to really direct your story in such a big way, it tells me that the narrative that you've created so far isn't that robust and you may be in danger of just being at this yes no dead end because you roll on yeah. something you're like okay well no <laughs> and then what yeah my, my experience has been that whenever i've been playing a game and i get to a point where i'm unsure and I'm, I'm wanting to roll up to find out what happens next a lot of times it's because i've gotten myself into a situation that i'm not enjoying honestly the story has ended up in a place i don't not that interested right. in and i'd want the something else to happen and instead of just choosing what happens differently because you know i, I should choose something i think is interesting right i just absolutely. start rolling dice hoping i get the right thing yes i think that describes you know? i mean i've been in that situation i think it describes that a uh, situation for a lot of players yes yeah mm -hmm. and it seems like for me at least at that point the best thing is to step back and say hey this is i'm not liking this this type of adventure that's going on is, is not something i'm into um the last time I remember happening was with Iron Sworn, and I was stuck in a situation where I was, I was trying to solve a murder mystery in a city, and I was just, you know, yeah, it's just not, not feeling my thing. it. Yeah. yeah, not feeling it. So let's let's change it up, and, yep. and that helped.
Yep. Um, so yeah. So okay. So the third chapter, the third section, we said it, it's not really the, there's tables in there, but it's not the tables. It's more about how to use the tables. Because um, then after that, there's a whole section of a, an appendix that has a bunch of stuff, an appendices. Um, there's essays, and then there's tables there, more complete, and and then the list of recommendations, which is a neat section. And then I really enjoyed the reference, the the recommendation, or the reference books that you have, because like you said, it's such a wide list. You had a book by an architect in there about how cities developed, and I thought that sounds really cool and just yes, so yes. unexpected. Architecture for me is um, an interest, and I think it's really informed a lot of my understanding about how solo gaming can work because the creation of the environment, the understanding about what space means and this dungeon essay is a little bit um, a little bit from left field, but it also is very related because the concept of what the dungeon means emotionally in terms of storytelling and gaming in general, really, obviously board gaming with dungeon crawls is a big thing. Um, why? I mean, what what is that? And why do why are we so drawn to that? And in writing about that, I am writing about the connection between place and emotion and how that connects to story and the investment that you have as a player in the in what's going on and in the game mechanics. And so it all does tie together. And I think with some of the tables too, I have a table um, in there that is called the table of connection and disconnection. And mm-hmm. I wrote that table because again, for me, I think one of the key things to describe any type of story development, but here we're talking about role-playing, is that stories can be told through relationships of connection and disconnection. Connections happen, disconnections happen, reconnections happen, and you can use that as a framework for understanding all sorts of things, war and passion and discovery and riches and all of that is can fall into those categories. So I tried to create, again, there's not a ton of tables, but the tables that I put in there, I think are the most useful ones for me that I either wrote or got permission to reprint from the creators. Mm -hmm. And they're really form the core of the tables that I use when I do my solo role play. And really all I think is needed to give a robust kind of support to that. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, it, um, it it it's neat. it's it's not tons and tons of tables, but I think it's enough to get somebody really to get started. But I think you don't necessarily need tons and tons of tables; just a few of them sometimes might be enough. The so this book it, we didn't mention it, but it was published by Modifius Games. Indeed, it, it was just came out recently. It did. Right? Yeah, it was. Um, it got caught, caught up a little bit in the supply chain woes. It was sort mm-hmm. of sitting in. Um, cargo ship outside i don't know where for Somewhere. many months it was a bummer but um they did a great job with it and um, i know you mentioned something about the art i mean it's interesting yeah that's right uh so i'll tell you about the art they i i am not an artist and i had no access to an artist and i didn't want to hire an artist and modifius was great they told me that i could if i worked with art that they had they would give me a selection of pieces of art and or a a bunch of pieces of art and I could make selections from that for the book so I was able to do that I love the way the art came out I love the way the book came out and you mentioned Mm -hmm. that a lot of the characters are sort of in shadow and Mm -hmm. I looked after you said that I hadn't really noticed uh that 
I think that's just the art style. I mean, it was not okay. any intentional <laughs> anything at all. I chose um, pieces of art that I felt went with more or less with the content to some extent. And I also tried to bring in like there was definitely like a couple of Cthulhu type things. So it wasn't all just fantasy because yep. this book is designed. It's sort of system neutral. It's genre neutral. You can use these tips and tricks for sci-fi or Lovecraft or horror or whatever. So I tried to mm -hmm. um, get some pieces of art in there that demonstrated all of that. But um, there was no no intention to kind of shadow the <laughs> characters. Okay. I'd wonder, and, you know, and it makes sense if, if it had been deliberate, though, because right, because you, you've already said, don't start with a character, you know, build a story. Yeah. So not having the character clearly defined just made perfect sense with the book. Which is why I wondered if it was deliberate. <laughs> no, I think it was just the art style. Now, maybe it was just my psyche that I'd have to go back and look <laughs> at all the art that I didn't choose. But um, oh. <laughs> no, <laughs> I just chose pieces that I liked and that I thought worked. And as I said, that was a little bit of a range just outside of only fantasy. Mm -hmm. Yep. Well, I like it. I like the I like the look of the book. It's a, it's a nice hardcover. This, it's a small size. I guess it's... um. I don't like the size of fake core. I don't know what's, what the size is called. It's five by eight ish. It's probably six, maybe six by nine. Six by nine. I don't yeah. know. I have to measure it, but um, it's not like D and D size books. None no, of those no, large it's not coffee table books. But I wanted it to look like a, I wanted it to look like an RPG book and they really achieved that. It looks mm -hmm. like, it looks like an RPG book. It does. And, um, so, it's, so it's a hardcover book. I, I love the size. I honestly, I've stopped buying the larger books, like the D and D size books, mm -hmm. just because, they're bigger and there's so many good things out these days. I, I could just be picky, you know, if yeah. I've got limited space. I'm just give it for the small ones and that's fine. Yeah. I may miss yeah. out some great stuff, but you know, th there's more great stuff than I could ever get to anyway. So that is true. Good. There's, it's just a wealth <laughs> of um, awesome published material now. And it's, it's really great being a book person in this niche because there's a, such a focus on the physical book and a lot of attention to detail in terms of, art and design. And I also think for the soloist, it's really great because I don't know how many people are sitting around uh, the table with a GM and, and are getting a chance to look at the awesome like game master's guide for whatever rule set they're, they're probably not. So mm -hmm. um, as a soloist, you get to, because you've got that, you you're playing yep. with that too. Yep. Um, so are, do you have any more books in mind? Or, That's or a great like... question. I did. Um, I, I, I sort of do. I did. Um, I self-published a book called Wanderings, which is a mm -hmm. 388 literary table that does um, entries for sort of overland or hex crawl kinds of things or environmental entries. And I, I have in mind to do something like that for dungeons, um, taking uh, entries and, and making a, a lengthy dungeon table. But I'm not sure. I don't know how compelled I am to get to that. And um, so that's, that's one thing I have in mind. I, I, since I published this, a lot of people have asked me to contribute mm. to things, you know, how it goes. And I'm just sort of taking a moment to think about what I really do want to invest my time in because I have limited time. As I said, this right. is really just a hobby for me. I never thought when I made my video, my very first video that honestly sat on an iPad, like unpublished for a year before yeah. one of my kids put it on YouTube, um, that I would get to this place with the channel. So I, I have to kind of think about what I'm going to do next in, in terms of writing, but there'll, there'll be something. Okay. 
And that's right. You did mention you have published another book and it's self-published. It's, I know it was, it's available on Amazon, I think. It's available it's on Amazon, yeah. It's called Wanderings. Okay. And um, it's kind of designed if you want to roll up something that's like uh, a character, an NPC backstory or your character backstory or like an environment. It it kind of, it could work with any, um, any genre, but it, it tends a little bit toward the gothic and the uh, moody, you know, foggy landscape kind of thing. Yeah. And that's available okay. on Amazon. It was a self-published okay. project. Gotcha. So, so this book, I want to say it's, um, I enjoyed reading it. I found it very informative, very, very useful to, to help me think about solo gaming and different ways to think about it and, the ideas about focusing on the story. I really enjoyed that. I think where this book will be most useful for me is in the future when I'm playing a game and I'm feeling stuck, it's a great reference to come back and pick a chapter totally. and read the chapter and get me inspired again. That I would think be, it really I would love it. it if you used it that way and it got you out of a, out of a dead end. That would be okay, awesome. Yeah. <laughs> That's exactly what it feels like. Like one of my favorite sections is towards the beginning. I think it's a, the list, it's a top 10 list of, um, the 10 called? mindsets of the solo GM. Or yeah, 10 just kind of reading do. through that yeah. is a little bit inspiring. So mm -hmm. yeah, well, I really think this, this is a neat book. I'm glad to, I'm glad you think that way. And I thank you so much for having me on. Like I said, I really, um, I listened to so many of your podcasts when I was really oh, thank you. getting into, um, into the hobby and in this kind of way. And as opposed mm -hmm. to just always, obviously always being a gamer um, goes without saying, but I'll say it <laughs> always having played board games. So um, I really appreciate it. I thank you so much. It's been great. Cool. Thank you. What, uh, one last thing. Do you have any, any games you're excited about coming up that you know of that you want to tell people about? Um, what are you going to cover next games? or just what you're, yeah. Just, or anything in general, really. Anything Is there anything else general. you want to share with anybody about anything whatsoever? Gotcha. Um, <laughs> good question. Well, I did mention I'm working on this video a little out of step for what I normally do on, mm -hmm. um, gaming with kids. I'm going to be doing a, a solo, uh, solo RPG video on something called pocket fantasy, which is not a solo rule set. It's available for free. I don't know that there's been a ton of videos on, it. I don't think there's been anything on solo. I'm really excited about that. It's, um, it's a very light D six based rule set and, I'm excited to show people how they can use that for uh, basic for basic solo RPG session. So those are two things that I'm looking forward to. And I have going just for my personal self, I'm doing a new four party uh, party for Four Against Darkness. And I have um, taken I, I'm creating a situation where I'm taking them through through the city, through some woodlands and wilderness to a palace. I'm kind of mapping out i'm creating a whole map for them to travel on and then rolling up what they will encounter from the various four against darkness books that i have i don't know that that's going to make it onto youtube but okay. um those are some of the things um that i am doing not necessarily a board game per se but those are some of the things that um that i'm playing around with off camera very cool well thank you very much for for coming on and sharing your book with us and and just all your your gaming lore and stories and whatnot because it's been really fun talking to you and, and just hearing everything thank you albert i really appreciate it it's been like i said really really great to talk to you and um i appreciate your time all right thank you bye everyone bye
thanks for listening. We love feedback, so we love hearing from you. You can reach me at Julius at OnePlayerPodcast.com or JLBird on BGG. And Albert can be reached at Albert at OnePlayerPodcast.com or Fractalude on BGG. Our website is OnePlayerPodcast.com with the number one, and we're also on Twitter at OnePlayerPodcast. The intro music is copyright Angus, can be found at Gemendo.com. The transition music is copyright by Dan Elduce Pancaldi, whose page is at DanPancaldi.com. The One Player Podcast is protected under a Creative Commons share-alike license. Thanks for listening.